Part 1 of Chapter 3 of Answers to Prayer From George Muller's Narratives Edited by A. E. C. Brooks This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 3 Precious Answers to Prayer Part 1 In remarkable ways God helped Mr. Muller, as the narratives show. The Artist's First Return April the 30th, 1859 received the following letter from a considerable distance. My dear Christian brother, I am the husband of Mrs., who sends you by this post the two sovereign peace. How can we better dispose of this relic of affectionate remembrance than by depositing it in the bank of Christ, who always pays the best interest and never fails? Now, my best and spiritual counsellor, I cannot express to you the exceeding great joy I feel in relating what follows. I am an artist, a poor artist, a landscape painter. About two weeks ago I sent a picture to Bristol for exhibition, just as I finished your book that was lent us. I most humbly and earnestly prayed to God to enable me, by the sale of my Bristol picture, to have the blessed privilege of sending you half the proceeds. The price of the picture is twenty pounds. Now mark, immediately the exhibition is open, God, in his mercy, mindful of my prayer, sends me a purchaser. I have exhibited in Bristol before, but never sold a picture. Oh, my dear friend, my very heart leaps for joy. I have never been so near God before. Through your instrumentality I have been enabled to draw nearer to God, with more earnestness, more faith, more holy desires. This is the first return God has blessed me with for the whole of my last year's labours. What a blessing to have it so returned! Oh, with what joy I read your book! The picture I speak of is now being exhibited in the Academy of Arts at Clifton, numbered in the catalogue, and the title is I cannot pay you till the close of the exhibition, as I shall not be paid till then, etc. Of such letters I have had thousands during the last forty years. The north wind changed into a south wind. It was towards the end of November 1857, when I was most unexpectedly informed that the boiler of our heating apparatus at number one leaked very considerably, so that it was impossible to go through the winter with such a leak. Our heating apparatus consists of a large cylinder boiler, inside of which the fire is kept, and with which boiler the water-pipes that warm the rooms are connected. Hot air is also connected with this apparatus. The boiler had been considered suited for the work of the winter. To suspect that it was worn out, and not to do anything towards replacing it by a new one, and to have said, I will trust in God regarding it, would be careless presumption, but not faith in God. It would be the counterfeit of faith." The boiler is entirely surrounded by brickwork. Its state, therefore, could not be known without taking down the brickwork. This, if needless, would be rather injurious to the boiler than otherwise. And as for eight winters we had had no difficulty in this way, we had not anticipated it now. But suddenly, and most unexpectedly, at the commencement of the winter, this difficulty occurred. What then was to be done? For the children, especially the younger infants, I felt deeply concerned that they might not suffer through want of warmth, 
but how were we to obtain warmth? The introduction of a new boiler would in all probability take many weeks. The repairing of the boiler was a questionable matter, on account of the greatness of the leak, but if not, nothing could be said of it till the brick chamber in which it is enclosed was, at least in part, removed. But that would, at least as far as we could judge, take days. And what was to be done in the meantime, to find warm rooms for three hundred children? It naturally occurred to me to introduce temporary gas-stoves, but on further weighing the matter it was found that we should be unable to heat our very large rooms with gas, except we had many stoves which we could not introduce, as we had not a sufficient quantity of gas to spare from our lighting apparatus. Moreover, for each of these stoves we needed a small chimney to carry off the impure air. This mode of heating, therefore, though applicable to a hall, a staircase, or a shop, would not suit our purpose. I also thought of the temporary introduction of Arnott stoves, but they would have been unsuitable, requiring long chimneys, as they would have been of a temporary kind, to go out of the windows. On this account, the uncertainty of their answering in our case, and the disfigurement of the windows, led me to give up this plan also. But what was to be done? Gladly would I have paid a hundred pounds if thereby the difficulty could have been overcome, and the children not be exposed to suffer for many days from being in cold rooms. At last I determined on falling entirely into the hands of God, who is very merciful and of tender compassion, and I decided on having the brick chamber opened to see the extent of the damage, and whether the boiler might be repaired so as to carry us through the winter. The day was fixed when the workmen were to come, and all the necessary arrangements were made. The fire, of course, had to be let out while the repairs were going on. But now see, after the day was fixed for the repairs, a bleak north wind set in. It began to blow either on Thursday or Friday, before the Wednesday afternoon, when the fire was to be let out. Now came the first really cold weather which we had had in the beginning of that winter, during the first days of December. What was to be done? The repairs could not be put off. I now asked the Lord for two things, viz., that he would be pleased to change the north wind into a south wind, and that he would give to the workmen a mind to work. For I remembered how much Nehemiah accomplished in fifty-two days while building the walls of Jerusalem, because the people had a mind to work. Well, the memorable day came. The evening before, the bleak north wind blew still, but on the Wednesday, the south wind blew, exactly as I had prayed. The weather was so mild that no fire was needed. The brickwork is removed, the leak is found out very soon, the boilermakers begin to repair in good earnest. About half-past eight in the evening, when I was going home, I was informed at the lodge that the acting principal of the firm whence the boilermakers came had arrived to see how the work was going on, and whether he could in any way speed the matter. I went immediately, therefore, into the cellar to see him with the men, to seek to expedite the business. In speaking to the principal of this, he said in their hearing, "'The men will work late this evening, and come very early again to-morrow.' "'We would rather, sir,' said the leader, "'work all night.' Then remembered I the second part of my prayer, that God would give the men a mind to work. Thus it was. 
By the morning the repair was accomplished, the leak was stopped, though with great difficulty, and within about thirty hours the brickwork was up again, and the fire in the boiler, and all the time the south wind blew so mildly that there was not the least need of a fire. Here, then, is one of our difficulties which was overcome by prayer and faith. CONVERSION OF THE ORPHANS May the 26th, 1860. Day after day, and year after year, by the help of God, we labour in prayer for the spiritual benefit of the orphans under our care. These our supplications, which have been for twenty-four years brought before the Lord concerning them, have been abundantly answered, in former years, in the conversion of hundreds from among them. We have also had repeated seasons in which, within a short time, or even all at once, many of the orphans were converted. Such a season we had about three years since, when, within a few days, about sixty were brought to believe in the Lord Jesus, and such seasons we have had again twice during the first year. The first was in July 1859, when the Spirit of God wrought so mightily in one school of a hundred and twenty girls, as that very many, yea, more than one half, were brought under deep concern about the salvation of their souls. This work, moreover, was not a mere momentary excitement, but after more than eleven months have passed, there are thirty-one concerning whom there is full confidence as to their conversion, and thirty-two concerning whom there is likewise a goodly measure of confidence, though not to the same amount as regarding the thirty-one. There are therefore sixty-three out of the hundred and twenty orphans in that one school which are considered to have been converted in July 1859. This blessed and mighty work of the Holy Spirit cannot be traced to any particular cause. It was, however, a most precious answer to prayer. As such we look upon it, and are encouraged by it to further waiting upon God. The second season of the mighty working of the Holy Spirit among the orphans during the past year was at the end of January and the beginning of February, 1860. The particulars of it are of the deepest interest, but I must content myself by stating that this great work of the Spirit of God in January and February, 1860, began among the younger class of the children under our care, little girls of about six, seven, eight, and nine years old, then extended to the older girls, and then to the boys, so that within about ten days above two hundred of the orphans were stirred up to be anxious about their souls, and in many instances found peace immediately through faith in our Lord Jesus. They at once requested to be allowed to hold prayer meetings among themselves, and have had these meetings ever since. Many of them also manifested a concern about the salvation of their companions and relations, and spoke or wrote to them about the way to be saved. Apprenticing the Orphans In the early part of the summer, 1862, it was found that we had several boys ready to be apprenticed, but there were no applications made by masters for apprentices. As all our boys are invariably sent out as indoor apprentices, this was no small difficulty, for we not only look for Christian masters, but consider their business and examine into their position to see whether they are suitable. 
and the master must also be willing to receive the apprentice into his own family. Under these circumstances, we again gave ourselves to prayer, as we had done for more than twenty years before concerning this thing, instead of advertising, which in all probability would only bring before us masters who desire apprentices for the sake of the premium. We remembered how good the Lord had been to us, in having helped us hundreds of times before in this very matter. Some weeks passed, but the difficulty remained. We continued, however, in prayer, and then one application was made, and then another. And since we first began to pray about this matter last summer, we have been able to send out altogether eighteen boys up to May the 26th, 1863. The difficulty was thus again entirely overcome by prayer, as every one of the boys whom it was desirable to send out has been sent out. Sickness at the Orphanage Sickness at times visited the houses. During the summer and autumn of 1866, we had also the measles at all the three orphan houses. After they had made their appearance, our especial prayer was, one, that there might not be too many children ill at one time in this disease, so that our accommodation in the infirmary rooms or otherwise might be sufficient. This prayer was answered to the full, for although we had at the new orphan house number one not less than eighty-three cases, in number two altogether one hundred and eleven, and in number three altogether sixty-eight, yet God so graciously was pleased to listen to our supplications, as that when our spare rooms were filled with the invalids, he so long stayed the spreading of the measles, till a sufficient number were restored, so as to make room for others who were taken ill. 2. Further we prayed that the children who were taken ill in the measles might be safely brought through and not die. Thus it was. We had the full answer to our prayers, for though 262 children altogether had the measles, not one of them died. 3. Lastly, we prayed that no evil physical consequences might follow this disease, as is so often the case. This was also granted. All the 262 children not only recovered, but did well afterwards. I gratefully record this signal mercy and blessing of God, and this full and precious answer to prayer, to the honour of His name. Help for Needy Brethren 1863. The end of the year was now at hand, and in winding up the accounts it was my earnest desire to do once more all I could in sending help to needy labourers in the gospel. I went therefore through the list, writing against the various names of those to whom I had not already recently sent, what amount it appeared desirable to send, and I found when these sums were added together the total was four hundred and seventy-six pounds but two hundred and eighty pounds was all I had in hand. I wrote therefore a cheque for two hundred and eighty, though I would have gladly sent four hundred and seventy-six, yet felt thankful at the same time that I had this amount in hand for these brethren. Having written the cheque, as the last occupation of the day, then came my usual season for prayer, for the many things which I daily, by the help of God, bring before him, 
and then again I brought also the case of these preachers of the gospel before the Lord, and besought him that he would even now be pleased to give me yet a goodly sum for them, though there remained but three days to the close of our year. This being done, I went home about nine o'clock in the evening, and found there had arrived from a great distance one hundred pounds for missions, with a hundred pounds left at my disposal, and five pounds for myself. I took, therefore, the whole two hundred pounds for missions, and thus had four hundred and eighty pounds in hand to meet the four hundred and seventy-six pounds which I desired for this object. Those who know the blessedness of really trusting in God and getting help from Him, as in this case, in answer to prayer, will be able to enter into the spiritual enjoyment I had in the reception of that donation, in which both the answer to prayer was granted, and with it the great enjoyment of gladdening the hearts of many devoted servants of Christ. The Heart's Desire Given to Help Mission Work in China September 30th, 1869 From Yorkshire, fifty pounds. Received also one thousand pounds today for the Lord's work in China. About this donation it is especially to be noticed that for months it had been my earnest desire to do more than ever for kingdom work in China, and I had already taken steps to carry out this desire when this donation of one thousand pounds came to hand. This precious answer to prayer for means should be a particular encouragement to all who are engaged in the Lord's work, and who may need means for it. It proves afresh that, if our work is His work, and we honour Him by waiting upon and looking to Him for means, He will surely, in His own time and way, supply them. THE JOY OF ANSWERS TO PRAYER The joy which answers to prayer give cannot be described and the impetus which they afford to the spiritual life is exceedingly great. The experience of this happiness I desire for all my Christian readers. If you believe indeed in the Lord Jesus for the salvation of your soul, if you walk uprightly and do not regard iniquity in your heart, if you continue to wait patiently and believingly upon God, then answers will surely be given to your prayers. You may not be called upon to serve the Lord in the way the writer does, and therefore may never have answers to prayer respecting such things as are recorded here. But in your various circumstances, your family, your business, your profession, your church position, your labour for the Lord, etc., you may have answers as distinct as any here recorded. THE GREAT NEED OF BEING SAVED BY FAITH IN CHRIST JESUS should this, however, be read by any who are not believers in the Lord Jesus, but who are going on in the carelessness or self-righteousness of their unrenewed hearts, then I would affectionately and solemnly beseech such, first of all to be reconciled to God by faith in the Lord Jesus. You are sinners. You deserve punishment. If you do not see this, ask God to show it unto you. Let this now be your first and especial prayer. Ask God also to enlighten you not merely concerning your state by nature, but especially to reveal the Lord Jesus to your heart. God sent him that he might bear the punishment due to us guilty sinners. 
God accepts the obedience and sufferings of the Lord Jesus in the room of those who depend upon him for the salvation of their souls. And the moment a sinner believes in the Lord Jesus, he obtains the forgiveness of all his sins. When thus he is reconciled to God by faith in the Lord Jesus, and has obtained the forgiveness of his sins, he has boldness to enter into the presence of God, to make known his requests unto him. And the more he is enabled to realize that his sins are forgiven, and that God, for Christ's sake, is well pleased with those who believe on him, the more ready he will be to come with all his wants, both temporal and spiritual, to his heavenly Father, that he may supply them. But as long as the consciousness of unpardoned guilt remains, so long shall we be kept at a distance from God, especially as it regards prayer. Therefore, dear reader, if you are an unforgiven sinner, let your first and especial prayer be that God would be pleased to reveal to your heart the Lord Jesus, his beloved Son. A Double Answer July the 25th, 1865 From the neighbourhood of London, £100 with the following letter. My dear sir, I believe that it is through the Lord's actings upon me that I enclose a cheque on the Bank of England, Western Branch, for £100. I hope that your affairs are going on well. Yours in the Lord. This Christian gentleman, whom I have never seen, and who is engaged in a very large business in London, had sent me several times before a similar sum. A day or two before I received this last kind donation, I had asked the Lord that he would be pleased to influence the heart of this donor to help me again, which I had never done before regarding him. And thus I had the double answer to prayer, in that not only money came in, but money from him. The reader will now see the meaning in the donor's letter, when he wrote, I believe that it is through the Lord's actings upon me that I enclose you a cheque, etc. Verily it was the Lord who acted upon this gentleman to send me this sum. Perhaps the reader may think that, in acknowledging the receipt of the donation, I wrote to the donor what I have here stated. I did not. My reason for not doing so was, lest he should have thought I was in special need, and might have been thus influenced to send more. In truly knowing the Lord, in really relying upon Him and upon Him alone, there is no need of giving hints, directly or indirectly, whereby individuals may be induced further to help. I might have written to the donor, as was indeed the case, I need a considerable sum, day by day, for the current expenses of the various objects of the institution, and also might have with truth told him at the time that I yet needed about £20,000 to enable me to meet all the expenses connected with the contemplated enlargement of the orphan work. But my practice is never allude to any of these things in my correspondence with donors. When the report is published, everyone can see who has a desire to see how matters stand, and thus I leave things in the hands of God to speak for us to the hearts of his stewards. And this he does. Verily, we do not wait upon God in vain. Christians in Business January the 1st, 1869 From Scotland, £50 for missions, 
twenty-five pounds for the circulation of the Holy Scriptures, and twenty-five pounds for the circulation of tracts. Received also from a considerable distance ten pounds for these objects, with ten pounds for the orphans. About this latter donation I make a few remarks. At the early part of the year 1868, a Christian businessman wrote to me for advice in his peculiar, difficult business affairs. His letter showed that he had a desire to walk in the ways of the Lord, and to carry on his business to the glory of God. But his circumstances were of the most trying character. I therefore wrote to him to come to Bristol, that I might be able to advise him. Accordingly he undertook the long journey, and I had an interview with him, through which I saw his most trying position in business. Having fully conversed with him, I gave him the following counsel. 1. That he should, day by day, expressly for the purpose, retire with his Christian wife, that they might unitedly spread their business difficulties before God in prayer, and do this, if possible, twice a day. 2 that he should look out for answers to his prayers, and expect that God would help him. 3. That he should avoid all business trickeries, such as exposing for sale two or three articles marked below cost price, for the sake of attracting customers, because of its being unbecoming a disciple of the Lord Jesus to use such artifices, and that, if he did so, he could not reckon on the blessing of God. 4. I advised him further to set apart, out of his profits, week by week, a certain portion for the work of God, whether his income was much or little, and use this income faithfully for the Lord. 5. Lastly, I asked him to let me know, month after month, how the Lord dealt with him. The reader will feel interested to learn that from that time the Lord was pleased to prosper the business of this dear Christian brother, so that his returns from the 1st of March, 1868, up to March the 1st, 1869, were £9,138.13.05, while during the same period the previous year they had been only £6,609.18.03, therefore £2,528.15.00 more than the year before. When he sent me the donation above referred to, he also writes that he had been enabled to put aside during the previous year £123.13.03 for the work of God or the need of the poor. I have so fully dwelt on this because Christians in business may be benefited by it. Revival in the Orphan Houses In giving the statistics of the previous year, 1871-72, I referred already to the great spiritual blessing which it pleased the Lord to grant to the orphan work at the end of that year and the beginning of this. But as this is so deeply important a subject, I enter somewhat further and more fully into it here. It was stated before that the spiritual condition of the orphans generally gave to us great sorrow of heart, because there were so few comparatively among them who were in earnest about their souls, and resting on the atoning death of the Lord Jesus for salvation. This our sorrow led us to lay it on the whole staff of assistants, matrons and teachers, to seek earnestly the Lord's blessing on the souls of the children. 
This was done in our united prayer meetings, and I have reason to believe in secret also. And in answer to these, our secret and united prayers, in the year 1872 there were, as the result of this, more believers by far among the orphans than ever. On January the 8th, 1872, the Lord began to work among them, and this work was going on more or less afterwards. In the new orphan house number three, it showed itself least, till it pleased the Lord to lay his hand heavily on that house by the smallpox, and from that time the working of the Holy Spirit was felt in that house also, particularly in one department. At the end of July, 1872, I received the statements of all the matrons and teachers in the five houses, who reported to me that, after careful observation and conversation, they had good reason to believe that 729 of the orphans then under our care were believers in the Lord Jesus. This number of believing orphans is by far greater than ever we had, for which we adore and praise the Lord. See how the Lord overruled the great trial occasioned by the smallpox, and turned it into a great blessing. See also how, after so low a state comparatively, which led us to prayer, earnest prayer, the working of the Holy Spirit was more manifest than ever. Mr. Muller's Mission Tours In the year 1875, when seventy years of age, Mr. Muller was led to start on his missionary tours, and during the next twenty years preached to more than three million people in forty-two countries of the world. On August the 8th, 1882, Mr. Muller says, we began our ninth missionary tour. The first place at which I preached was Weymouth, where I spoke in public four times. From Weymouth we went, by way of Calais and Brussels, to Dusseldorf on the Rhine, where I preached many times, six years before. During this visit I spoke there in public eight times. Regarding my stay at Dusseldorf, for the encouragement of the reader, I relate the following circumstance. During our first visit to that city, in the year 1876, a godly city missionary came to me one day, greatly tried, because he had six sons, for whose conversion he had been praying many years, and yet they remained unconcerned about their souls, and he desired me to tell him what to do. My reply was, Continue to pray for your sons, and expect an answer to your prayer, and you will have to praise God. Now, when after six years I was again in the same city, this dear man came to me, and said he was surprised he had not seen before himself what he ought to do, and that he had resolved to take my advice, and more earnestly than ever give himself to prayer. Two months after he saw me, five of his six sons were converted within eight days, and have for six years now walked in the ways of the Lord and he had hoped that the sixth son also was beginning to be concerned about his state before God. May the Christian reader be encouraged by this, should his prayers not at once be answered, and instead of ceasing to pray, wait upon God all the more earnestly and perseveringly, and expect answers to his petitions. End of part one of chapter three.